suffered not just for me, right? And here's uh, the truth that I've often reminded you of is that the, the significance of what happens here tonight has a lot more to dep- is a lot more to do with y- whether you have an open heart and whether you want to seek the Lord than in how well I present this word from the Lord, okay? So what I want everybody to do is let's stand up and let's pray and ask him to speak to us. The, um, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even into dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, that is, before the eyes of God, to whom we must give account. And so, Lord, just like you promised there, that your word is living, and it's active, and it can change our lives, and it can cut stuff out of our lives that is that that you don't want, we're asking that you would do that tonight, that you would change our lives, change the way that we think about you, because we've met together. So would you help us, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you guys to think about Jesus and the prophecies that focus on him. We've been going through the book of Luke, right? And we're in Luke 22 tonight. But before we look at Luke 22, we're just going to look at a few verses there. And we're actually going to jump around a bunch because there's some things that the Lord wants to teach us that goes beyond just the, the verses in Luke. But I want to start by looking at a verse or a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 15. So, by the way, this is a Bible study. That means you should bring your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, then you can buy one. Or if you don't have money to buy one, I'll buy you one. But it's not, it's, it's kind of like going to class without your textbook, okay? So you got to have your textbook when you come to class. And also, it's going to make a lot of difference if you read the text before you get here, okay? Now, you might not always know what we're talking about, but, but this book is going to change your life if you read it every day. It's kind of like vitamins, right? How many of you guys take vitamins, multivitamins? Okay, some of you do. You know, that's kind of what old people take, right? But if you guys take multivitamins, the reason you don't take multivitamins is because when you take them, they don't seem to do very much, right? Have you guys noticed that? Like you take a vitamin, it's like it doesn't do anything, so you don't take it. Multivitamins aren't supposed to do, it's not like a monster drink, right? You drink the monster drink and it keeps you awake for six days, right? <laughs> or it's supposed to, right? You take the multivitamins, it doesn't seem to do very much. The, the word of God is often more like a powerful multivitamin than it is like a monster drink. That the effect of the word of God in your life doesn't just happen because you like, okay, I need, I need God's word right now. And you go and read it for 20 minutes. The, the changing work in your life, the health that it brings to your life is brought to your life through daily ingestion of the Word of God. So if you don't spend time in the Word every day, it's going to be hard for you to make sense of the kinds of things that we talk about here on Thursday nights. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 15, I want you guys to look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you uh, as of first importance. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Underline that word, according to the scriptures. He, what, what Paul is saying is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament. Okay? Just keep that in mind. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He says it again. And that he appeared to Peter into then to 12. Okay, what I want to ask you guys is what is Paul talking about when he says that Jesus died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and raised to life again according to the scriptures? How many of you guys remember that scripture from the Old Testament that talks about that? You got it? Okay, where? Okay, Isaiah, you're talking about Isaiah 53? 
Okay, Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus dying. It talks about him being raised again. It doesn't talk about him being raised on the third day necessarily. So I've scratched my head at times before and thought, well, what's this talking about? Where it says that the, the scriptures teach that Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. What's that all about? Okay, but I just want you to keep, have that question in mind as we look at what we're looking at tonight, okay? Okay, because I, I hope by the end of tonight you're like, oh, I get what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not the only place that Paul that the Old Testament talks about this, but this is one of the places. So, now we're in Luke. Remember, we're going through the book of Luke, right? And I know it's Christmas time, but we're just going to keep on plugging through Luke. Luke 22, if you guys look there, Luke 22, I want you to check this out in verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Okay, stop looking at your Bible. Don't look anymore. Here's pop quiz, okay? Pop quiz. Do you guys do pop quizzes in, at UTA? Okay, here's pop quiz. Um. What, are, what, are, what was the main point? Oh, take it off of there. Take it off. Take it off. Take it off. Okay, I want you guys to I'll just pop quiz to see how well you, you paid attention to what we just read. Tell the person next to you what we just read. Okay? What was the main point of those, those three or four verses that we just read? Okay, quick. You got 20 seconds to do that. Okay, time's up. Okay, what what was the main point? You still don't look at your scripture. You're cheating. Ashish, Ashish is reading the Bible. Okay, this can't believe that you're they're being told not to read the Bible in here. I'm just teasing you. Uh, what was the main point of those, without looking at the scripture, without looking at what we just read, what was the main point of those four or so verses that we just read? Judas. Okay, so the Pharisees, the Pharisees are going to gonna try to catch Jesus through Judas. Any, any other main point that you guys want to pull out of there? Okay, you, are, you already know what I'm talking about. Okay, what's that? Okay, it was Pat. Wow, you're two steps ahead of me. Okay, this is what I want you guys to catch, is that it's really easy for us to, to, to skip over some of the things that we don't understand. For those, for those of you, has, is anybody reading this, these verses for the first time tonight? If it's the first time that you've heard this, it's easy for you to just kind of like Passover, unleavened bread. I don't know what that's about. Okay, but I know about Jesus and about Jesus, and I know about Judas, and I know about him being caught by the religious leaders. Okay, what I want you guys to, to, to think about is that there's significance to this first verse where it says that the, the feast of unleavened bread called Passover was approaching. Who knows what the feast of unleavened bread was all about? Okay, some of you guys do. Some of you guys do. Yeah, yeah. Some of you who have stu studied a little bit more of the Old Testament. Okay, I mean, you guys, you guys should know what the Feast of Unleavened Bread and what the Passover is about. So this is what I want to do. I want us to give us some cultural context, some context from the Old Testament, so we really understand what God's plan is before we read in the next few, in the next few chapters about Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay. So um, we're gonna we're gonna try to cover a whole bunch tonight, but there's seven festivals in the Old Testament that point prophetically to the work of Jesus. 
okay? And I want us to see what these, these seven festivals are. We're going to start with Passover because that's what it's talking about here. So the, the, these seven festivals, there's actually seven festivals that are written about in the Old Testament initially, and then there's two more that if we have time, we're going to touch on also. So the first of the seven festivals is a festival called Passover. And, and what, I, what we're going to do, you've got a sheet of paper that was on your seat. And um, this is going to feel a little bit more like class or something tonight than it usually does. But this is going to help you. It's going to really uh, help you to understand what is going on in the Bible. And so what we're going to look at is the Jewish year. There's, how many days are in the year? 365. 360. Man, you guys get, somebody say it louder. Nate, tell us. 365 days in you guys' year, in the solar year, right? It's actually, if you're, you're going to be really nitpick, it's 365, 6 hours, 40 minutes, and 36 seconds, or something like that, right? I think that was close. Uh, okay, that's, that's, that's the amount of time that it takes around to, for, the, for the earth to go around the sun, right? Okay, in, yes, uh, in, in the Jewish year, the Jewish, the Jewish year is made up of 12 months of 30 days apiece. Now, they, they adjusted that at times to make up for that, that, those five extra days. But the general way that the, that the Jewish thought worked was, th was 12 months of 30 days apiece. And the reason was is because that, that, that calendar was built on the moon rather than on the sun. And that meant that the moon is the same time every month. For example, when was full moon this month? A few couple days ago, right? And when, when was it? Tuesday. Okay, it was Tuesday. So if you guys notice, if you guys pay attention to the full moon, it's a different day every month, right? In the Jewish calendar, the full moon is always the same day every month. And the new moon is the same day every month. That's how they, that's, that's what we call it a moon. It comes from the, from the, I mean, that's what we call it a month. It comes from the word moon, okay? And of course, we, the, we've had to adjust that a little bit and so the full moon is different each month. Now, don't get all worked up on astronomy right now, but here's what I want you guys to get. In the Jewish calendar, in the Jewish mindset, there's 12 months of 30 days apiece, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about where these, these festivals happen in the Jewish calendar, okay? Now, there's meaning to this, and if you don't, if you just, just hang with me. We're not doing an astronomy class, but the first of these, the first of these festivals is on the first month the 14th day, and it's called Passover. One more thing that I should just mention to you is that four of these festivals are in the spring, and three of these festivals are in the autumn, okay? Okay, we're going to talk about there. So the first festival is the festival of Passover, and it takes place on the 14th day of the first month of the year. So the 14th day of the first month of the year is a full moon day. It's a night, it's a night of full moon. 14th is always the full moon in the lunar calendar, okay? Two weeks into the month, you get a full moon. Okay, so that's, that's, that's significant. It's important. There's a reason why Passover happens on a full moon night. Okay, and the Passover is, anybody remember what Passover is about? Just raise your hand if you know what Passover is about. I won't embarrass you. Okay, you guys know what Passover is about. Passover comes from the word passing over because there was a time at when the Jewish people, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and Moses was commissioned by God to, to bring the Israelites out of slavery. He went to Pharaoh and he, and he told Pharaoh, remember, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh's like, yeah, right. So what did God do? God sent 10 plagues through Moses to the land of Egypt to 
to show his power to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would ultimately let the people go. And the last of those plagues was what? The, the, the death of the firstborn son. So in every home, every firstborn son in Egypt was going to be put to death unless the family took a lamb and killed that lamb and took the blood of that lamb and put it on the the top of the door and on the side of the door, painted that blood on the door frame. And then that night, the 14th day of the first month when the, in the, this angel of death came to put to death the firstborn child in every household, any household who ha- that had the blood of the lamb on that household, on that family, they were passed over by the angel of death and they did not die. Okay? So this festival that God set up called Passover was to commemorate, to remember that event. Now, what's the prophetic significance of the Passover? What's the prophetic significance, guys? Jesus. You guys are right. It was Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, now just think about this. Jesus' blood sets you free from death. Every one of you has messed up your life big time and separated yourself, cut yourself from the source of life, from God himself. And Jesus repaired that with his death. He took the death that you deserve upon himself. And and this is why you hear people talk about the blood of the lamb that we're saved, but the blood of the lamb, this is in reference to the Passover time. When the Passover lamb was killed in the place of the the oldest son in that house, as prophetic as a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do. Now, when did Jesus die? He died on Passover. He died on the 14th of the first month of the year. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Okay, that was the first feast, okay? Second feast, this second festival is the festival of unleavened bread. And the second festival, this festival of unleavened bread starts or started the day after Passover. So it started on the 15th of the first day of the month. You guys with me? So the Passover happens the 14th of the month. The next day is the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. And that festival, that feast lasts for seven days. So a period of seven days from the 15th of of the month to the 22nd of the month, during which time the people in memory of what had happened after Passover, after, the, after they came out of Egypt, in memory of that time, they ate bread without yeast, without leaven. That's why it's called unleavened bread. Okay? So they, for seven days, they eat unleavened bread, bread without yeast, and the, signif- the prophetic significance of this festival is what? Does anybody know? Anybody get any ideas? Okay, bread that came down from heaven. Remember, Jesus, Jesus talks about himself as this bread that came down from heaven, remember? This bread that came from heaven. And it's more than that. Do you guys know what the, the bread, the unleavened bread is called? No, that's, that, that was a supernatural bread. But the bread that they ate, the unleavened bread that the, that the Jewish people ate and that they still eat today is called what? Matzah. Or, yeah. I think we got a picture of it up here, right? There it is right there. 
Looks familiar, right? Cracker. Cracker. Sky flakes, right? Okay. Now, what, I, I just want you guys to look at this. What do you notice about this? Looks like pizza bread. Okay. You notice all the little holes in it? Why has it got all the holes in it? Because it's a cracker. You are smart. Okay. <laughs> Guess this, these holes, whatever, whatever the reason is for having these holes for baking purposes, I don't know. But the, but the reason for the holes, the prophetic reason for the holes in the bread has to do with the, Jesus being pierced by nails. This is prophetic. A lot of you know, people don't know. They're just like, well, that's bread with holes in it. This, this represents the piercing of Jesus' body. Okay? A couple verses that I want you guys to see. Luke twenty two nineteen. 19. This is, we're going to read about this later in, in, in Luke 22. Jesus took bread the night before he was put to death. He broke the bread, and he gave that bread to them, saying, look what he says. This is my body. You guys do this in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Okay? And then Isaiah 53, 5. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds were healed. All those little piercings in that bread. Every time you eat a scaphlex cracker from now on, remember Jesus. That's what that represents. Okay? That's the second festival. Okay? First one is Passover. Second one is unloved bread. Third one is First fruits, okay, first fruits. So this, this third festival, this third festival actually happens during the seven days of unleavened bread. And it's a festival during which they took the first part of their harvest. Remember, this is in the spring. There's a spring harvest happening. And just as they're taking the first part of their harvest, they take the, the first part and they bring it to the Lord as a first fruit offering to him saying, I haven't eaten anything yet. They weren't allowed to eat the harvest until, they, until this, after this day. So they took this, this first fruit, offered it to the Lord, and then after that they could enjoy what they harvested. And the, harvested, the harvest continued for the next weeks, for the next seven weeks or so. Okay, so what's the, what's the prophetic significance of the first fruits festival? Say it again. Tithing, okay, okay, it's offering to the Lord, yes, but it's more than just tithing. It's, um, there, there, it's, it's along the lines of tithing, of giving him the, the best of what we have. Fruit of the Spirit, yes, fruit of the Spirit, yes. Okay, say it again. <laughs> Sam, you're so cute. Okay, okay, yeah, Will, Will study, has studied a bunch of this stuff. Why don't you just come up here and teach, Will? Um, okay, here's the prophetic significance. Guys, see if you can figure this out. Will's right. Think about this. What day did the festival of first fruits happen on? What's that? Sometime during love bread. What day of the love bread was it? I didn't say, did I? Okay, I'm about to say it right now. It was the 16th day of the first month. Okay, I just want you to see. We've had three, three festivals in three days now. We've got, fest, we've got Passover festival on the 14th. We've got the start of unloved bread on the 15th, which is, you know, that, that bread, that whole idea of being consecrated for God, set apart, Jesus being pierced. Then the next day is the festival of first fruits when the fruit, the first fruit 
that came from the plant that was planted was offered to God. Now, I want you to think about the plant that was planted, okay? The farmer takes the seed, and what does he do with the seed? He sticks it in the ground. And remember when Jesus talked about if unless a seed goes into the ground, it remains only a single seed, but if it goes into the ground, it dies. And that death brings about what? Life. Jesus talks about this. And I think he's, he's, he's hinting at a death and a resurrection. What happens on the 16th of the first month? Okay, if Jesus died on the 14th day of the first month, what happened on the 16th day of the first month? What's that? He was resurrected. Now, you guys who count differently, you think, well, that's only two days. 14th, 16 minus 14, that's two. I thought he was... I thought it was three days. You guys, you guys you got to think about the way that the Jewish people counted. 14th day, first day, 15th day, second day, 16th day, the third day. The festival of first fruits is a prophetic picture of the resurrection of Jesus. And it talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. We just, we just mentioned one of the verses in 1 Corinthians 15 a minute ago. But let's look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Look at this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Speaking of those who have died. In other words, he, he don't like to use the word died because they haven't, they're, not di- they're not dead. He's talking, about, he's, he's talking about this resurrection of the body of Jesus. Do you guys know that Jesus' body was resurrected? Jesus was put to death on the 14th of the first month. Two days later, or three days if you count like the, the Jews, um, 14th, 15th, 16th, on the 16th, on the third day, Jesus rose physically and what we find out about the fir- this festival of first fruits prophetic significance is that jesus is the first of many who will come to life for since death look at verse 21 since death came through a man speaking of adam that because of the, the sin of humanity in adam the the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man it's got to come through a man jesus had to be a man had to be human for as in adam all die so in christ all will be made alive but each in his own turn Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those. In other words, those people who trust in him, when he returns, guess who's with him? You guys. You guys are with him. If you, if you, he is the first fruit, the one who, who comes physically back to earth, and you guys are all with him. Okay, that's, that's what the third festival. Okay. Now, one more spring festival. Fourth festival is the Feast of Weeks. It's also called Pentecost. Or Shavuot. Is that, did I pronounce that right, Will? Shavuot. Okay. Everybody say Shavuot the way that Will says it. Okay. It's called the Feast of Weeks because a week is, in our minds, a week is seven days, right? Jewish mindset, a week is a set of seven. So a week can be a set of seven days or a set of seven weeks. Well, how many, how many days is seven weeks? 49. Very good. 49 days. So if you take the Feast of of the, the, the festival of first fruits and count off 49 days. The next day after that is the 50th day, the day of the festival of weeks or the festival of Pentecost or Shav, Shav, Shavuot. Okay. Okay, so this is a festival 50 days after first fruits where the harvest is now done. 
Remember, first fruits is, is taking the first part of the fruit and offering it to the Lord. Fifty days later, now we're having Thanksgiving. No turkey, but something like Thanksgiving. It's like all this stuff that the Lord has given to us, and we're bringing it all together, and we're saying thanks to God. Okay, what's the prophetic significance of what happens on, the, on, Pente- on Pentecost? Okay, let me tell you one more thing that happens on Pentecost. In their Thanksgiving offering, they take two loaves of bread, two loaves of bread, and present those two loaves as a pair to the Lord. Now, there's something significant, something prophetic about that. What are those two pairs, what does that loaf of bread, those two, two loaves of bread represent? Now, the hint is what happened 50 days after the, Jesus rose from the dead? No, that was 40 days later. Holy Spirit came empowered. Do you remember what happened on, on Pentecost Sunday? Pentecost Sunday, they're all in the room praying. They've been praying for 10 days straight since Jesus left 10 days earlier. They're praying, and then there's this sound. Remember? Rushing wind and flames of fire. And what happens? Holy Spirit power poured out on who? First of all, them. And then what happens? Not just these Jewish people, but all of a sudden, there's not just one nation being offered to the Lord, but the whole Gentile world is offered to the Lord too. These two loaves of bread signify prophetically the offering to the Lord of the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the point when the the church is born. Okay? That's festival number four. Okay? Festival number five. Festival number five is way later. Okay. You get, do you guys get this? This is, you got three festivals in that first few weeks of the year, right? Then you got, fi- you got a break. 50 days later, you got festival number four. Then you got like five months. Summer. You got summer. And there's just lots of work to do. Crops are growing. Second, second set of crops are growing. And then we'll on day 181 of the year, day one of month seven, there's a festival. And it's not, it doesn't seem like much of a festival. All it is is some trumpets blowing. Shofar. Can you make the shofar sound, Will? Do you speak Hebrew that well? Come on, man, try. Who wants to hear Will do the shofar? Yeah. Okay, that was good enough. That, you, that was pretty good. Good job, man. Okay. Okay, I want you guys to see a picture of the shofar. Do you, do you have that picture up there? Okay, here it is. So this is like a, a long ram's horn. I'd rather have Will do it than that guy. So, Will, you can do that. You can do it next time. Okay, so um, the, sh- the shofar is blowing, and this, this day, commemorates what the Hebrews call Rosh Hashanah, which, is, which means the head of the year. Now, the year started six months ago, so why are they calling this the head of the year? Well, this is the head, this is the beginning of the, kind of the civil new year, but it's really a time of, it's kind of like a reboot. You guys know when you're, you're, your phone, you're, you know, you're supposed to re- what, restart your phone every five days or something? What is it? Every day? How often are you supposed to restart it? Okay, whatever. 
you guys know what it's like when your phone's not doing what it's supposed to do, and it's like, okay, hit the reboot button. You got to hold it down, and then it, and it reboots, and it's supposed to work better, right? Okay, come on. Uh, this is like this is what happens on day one of month seven. It's like a time of rebooting, and the, the trumpet is blown. This this shofar is blown, and it, what it does is it's, it calls the Jewish people to repentance. That's the reason for this festival. It's a festival to call the people to repentance because 10 days later is festival number six, the Day of Atonement. So it's like 10 days before the Day of Atonement, they've got a chance to turn to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've been living. Let me follow you in preparation for the Day of Atonement. Okay, we're going to talk about what that is. But here, what's the prophetic significance of this festival of trumpets? I've blown the trumpet. Okay, what is it? What is it? Rapture. Wow, you're, you're way ahead of me. Now, why do you say rapture? Okay, so we'll think about what trumpets were used for. I mean, now you guys all got cell phones, right? You just text the person that you want the message to go to. But the idea of the, of the trumpet blowing was a, was a time where you blow the trumpet and call the people, you mobilize the people, you bring the people in. For a purpose, and there's twofold purpose in the, in the prophetic significance of this festival. So this festival, after a long time, just remember, remember that Pentecost happened, and then long time later, in the Jewish New Year, and prophetically speaking, long time later in what's happened in history, there is a trumpet blowing. And what Julie just said, is that that sig that's the prophetic significance of that shofar being blown is the rapture. Now, what she, she, I asked her where she got that from. There's a place. Where, where does it talk about a trumpet being blown in a place that we might interpret as the rapture? What's the verse? First Thessalonians 4.16, okay? First Thessalonians 4.16, guys, look in your Bible at this. For the Lord, this, this is talking about Jesus, the Lord himself, will come down from heaven. Where's Jesus right now? Heaven. In heaven. I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand it all. But Jesus is not here. He's somewhere out there physically. And he will come back. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet call of God. There you go right there. The trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. All those, those people who, who are in heaven, they're back. They're back physically. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Now, I don't understand all this. I don't think we need to talk all about what this all means. But here's the deal. That this, this the trumpet that is blowing on the first day of the seventh month after there's been this long time of working in the field signifies the call of God when, when Jesus returns to earth. And the people who have trusted him are, are taken into the sky somehow, in the air with him, and, he, and they're with the Lord forever. Okay, there's one more thing that this festival of trumpets represents, and that's not just the call of the, of the believers in Christ to the side of Christ, but the, it's a call for the Jewish people to do what? What was the original purpose for this festival? Repentance, right? Somebody said repentance up here. Repentance. So at the time when Jesus returns, what are the, what are the, 
Jewish people called to do. Repent. And from other scriptures, we know that what happens, even we talked about it last week, that at the time, there's a time coming when the trumpet call of God is blown and the people of the Jewish nation turn to Jesus. They turn to Jesus. And, and then what, what happens next is really significant. There's this festival of trumpets where this, these trumpets are blown and there's 10 days before the Day of Atonement. 10 days for the people who hear the trumpet call, who hear the invitation to repent and that the Day of Atonement comes. Okay, so let's talk about what the Day of Atonement was, what the festival was all about, and let's talk about what the prophetic significance is. So it's festival number six, the Day of Atonement. This day happens 10 days after the trumpets are blown. Day of Atonement, you guys remember what the Day of Atonement is all about? Day of Atonement is the day where once a year, the high priest, the high priest would take the blood and go into the most holy place, the holy of holies inside of the temple where nobody was allowed to go, not even him, except he was only allowed to go this time once a year. And he'd go in there to offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people of the whole nation. Do you guys remember this? Okay, I'm giving you lots of information. I hope I'm not losing you. So he, he goes in once a year to make, to, to make sacrifice, to offer bl the blood of a lamb in payment for all the sins. So what's the, what's the prophetic significance of that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so it has to do with the temple in Jerusalem. You just, just think about it. what happened. What happened to that, to, to the Holy of Holies? It's been destroyed, but 38 years before it was destroyed, what happened? The veil tore. In the, if you could ever get that close, you guys can't because you're not priests, but if you could ever get into the holy place, between the holy place and the most holy place, there's a, te a, a veil that, that was about 15 inches thick, according to what Josephus wrote about that veil. And Josephus even writes, it was, he said that it was made in Persia, and he describes in detail what it looked like. And Josephus even says, who wasn't a Christian, but an ancient historian, hired by the guy that we, talk, we talked about, the Emperor Titus, last week. Josephus says that that veil was torn at the time when Jesus died. It's written in history. So that veil was torn. Why did the veil torn when, tear when Jesus died? Because when Jesus, somebody over here said that, because now we can go into the, Lisa said that, because now we can go into the Holy of Holies without any problem. Guess what? You guys are invited. It's not just the high priest. Thank you. It's not just the high priest that gets to go into the Holy of Holies and have communion with God. It's you. There's no barrier between you and God. You're invited in. You're invited in. In fact, we were in there this morning. I hope, and I hope we were in there all day. We're people who are learning to live in the presence of God all day long. Right here. God's right here. God's in our midst right now. He's right here. There's no barrier. There's no curtain. There's no wall. We can enter into his presence anytime we want. All you got to do is walk right in. Say, Daddy, let's talk. And he says, come on, let's talk. He's your father. He's your friend. He's invited you intimacy with him. But the problem is that that veil was torn and all people could go in there. And what did the Jewish people do? They refused. For the past 2,000 years, they've refused to enter into the, the communion of holy God with holy God. They've separated themselves and said, no way. But when this trumpet call of God happens 
and there's repentance. The Day of Atonement signifies a time when the, when the people of Israel gather together, and together they just march right into the Holy Holies. That's what I think this is a significant, the, the significance of this festival. Where back before it was one person, once a year, walking in on the Day of Atonement. But the prophetic significance is that there's a time when all the Jewish people accompany us and walk into the Holy of Holies anytime we want. In fact, I think we'll just, we just stay there all the time. And I'm talking prophetically. I'm talking metaphorically. But guys, we're in God's presence all the time. And the Jewish people are going to join us. And there's a prophecy about the time when the Jewish people do commune with God. So Zechariah 12, 10. I think you might have it up here. Zechariah 12, 10. How much time we got? That clock isn't working up there. How are we doing on time? Can somebody... Okay, we got a few minutes. Zechariah 12, 10. This is a prophecy about what would happen at this time when the Jewish people turned to the Lord Jesus. Zechariah 12, 10. I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. You hear what God's saying? It's like there's coming a time with all the rejection that those people have put on me. I'm turning around. I'm going to pour onto them spirit of grace where they they will accept me there's a time coming when the jewish people accept jesus and they will look on me who's they talk about the jewish people the jewish people are going to see jesus who they have pierced and they will mourn for him speaking of jesus as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son then down in verse 13, verse 1, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David. That's talking about Jewish people and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. All that they have rejected, all the times that they've rejected Messiah, there's coming a day when, the, when, the, when this day of atonement is finally fulfilled and all Jewish people are finally cleansed from all their sin because they put their trust in Jesus. That's the prophetic fulfillment of the day of atonement. And then... After that, the last festival, this final festival called Booths. This is, so in the Jewish calendar, once again, we're taking the Jewish calendar, we're comparing that to, to, to the history of humanity. So remember the trumpets was blowing on what day? Yeah, what day? So seventh month, first day. That gave them 10 days to repent, and then came the Day of Atonement. Seventh month, tenth day. Now, five days later, seventh month, fifteenth day, is this festival of booths or festival of tabernacles or festivals of tents. It's called Sukkot. It's basically Sukkot. Sorry. Okay, thanks. can count on the previous to correct my pronunciation. Okay. Basically, it's a camping festival. Anybody been camping for a whole week? Okay. This, this is a festival where in, in remembrance, in, in commemoration of what God did when he set the people free from slavery, he brings them out into the wilderness, brings them out to some place like where we went camping a, few, a month and a half ago, and, he, and they live there free from their oppressors. And so in remembrance of that, on this day, from the 15th of the seventh month to the 22nd day of the seventh month, for one week, for seven days, the Jewish people, even now, set up little booths, and they live in those booths at least part of the day, and you know, they still go into their house. But the, there's, in commemoration, kind of like what you know, a lot of Americans do with Christmas trees, it's just kind of like tradi tradition. They don't think that much about what it all means. But the, re the purpose of it is to remember what God did when he brought them out of slavery. So you got a picture of, of some of those booths up here? I think I sent you some of them. There you go. Look at that. 
So for a, for seven days a year, they set up the booths. I think I sent you another one. Do you have another one also? Okay, there you go. I mean, all kinds of styles, right? And for a, for a week, they they cut a party in these booths in commemoration of what God did. Okay, so what's the prophetic significance of that? Party in heaven. Party in heaven. Amen. This is, this is a prophetic picture of what's coming, that there's a, t- there's a time when, when this age is over and that we dwell in the presence of God. We live in the presence of God. And it's, it's talked about that in Revelation 21. So let's look at Revelation 20, which is kind of, the, kind of a hint of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. What's, what's coming down out of heaven from God according to this? The holy city. What's the holy city? We usually think about a city as being a bunch of buildings. Guys, I just want you to think a little bit about that the city is more than just the buildings. The city is the people of God. The people of God. You people are the city of God. You're the city of God. City, city without, with, with buildings and no people ain't much of a city. It's a ghost town. The, the, the city of God, the people of God coming down from heaven to where? To earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, it's the bride. What's the bride? It's you. This is, this is metaphorical, of course, but it's this, the uniting of God with the people of this planet is pictured in the Bible as a wedding. Prepared beautifully for her husband, speaking of God, of Jesus and I heard a voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. Guess what the word is that they use for dwelling there? It's the same word that they use for tabernacle. The booths that we just saw. Now the camp out of God is with humanity. God is living with humanity. God is tabernacling with humanity. And he's going to live with them. And they will be his people. Amen. And he will be, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old word of the things that's passed. Here's the deal, guys. Whatever you went through today, it's all temporary. All the pain, all the frustration, all the s- stuff of life, it's all temporary. And there's coming a day when God just takes you like what your mom and dad used to do when you were little, when you were crying, and just, remember, you just buried your head in their shoulder and cried and cried, and he's just like, it's, it, you don't need to cry. You don't need to cry because it's not going to be hurtful anymore. I'm fixing it is what God is saying. I'm making all things new, all things new. And these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we're fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but what's on unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And, there, and heaven is coming to earth. Jesus is coming to earth. You're invited to come to earth with him. And what the festival of booths is prophetically signifying is that time when God lives with humanity. The thing that all of us have longed for. All of us, every one of us, our hearts have longed for, longing for a time. I mean, nothing else is satisfied. We've tried all the things. I mean, you guys have tried a lot of things. You've tried the movies and you've tried the food. and Everything pretty soon ends up empty because what we're really longing for is something that we can only be fulfilled when we're with him. When heaven and earth meet, when the bride and groom meet, uh, metaphorically, when we're with him, when we see his face. I can't wait. So, those are the seven festivals of the Old Testament. There's two other festivals that I just want to mention briefly. Will had asked me to talk about uh, some of these. There's, there's a couple other festivals that were added later on. One is the festival of Purim. Is that, did I pronounce that right? 
Purim. Okay, thank you. Purim, which is, if you guys, who's read the book of Esther? Okay, the festival of Purim is the, is the festival that commemorates the time when the Jewish people were freed from their enemies when the evil guy Haman had planned to annihilate them all and God brought them deliverance. Okay, that's festival of Purim. There's one more festival called the festival of, it's actually being celebrated next Wednesday. Does anybody know what that is? Hanukkah. Yeah, not Hanukkah. That's Hanukkah right there. Although we should, we should celebrate Hanukkah every day. Yeah. But Hanukkah celebrated, is being celebrated next Wednesday. And does anybody know what the festival of Hanukkah is all about? Yeah, I know you preview boys, you preview brothers do. Okay, the, the festival of Hanukkah um, is this. That the, next, next Wednesday, the festival that's being celebrated has to do with something that happened in 168, 167 B.C. In 167 B.C., the king of Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, he comes to Jerusalem and he stops the Jewish worship. And he says, instead, we're going to worship Zeus. And he forces the worship of Zeus at the temple in Jerusalem. You guys know who Zeus is, right? He's a Roman god. And and he sacrifices a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Have you guys heard this before? Okay, it's a type of the abomination that causes desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel that is still coming in our future, but that was a, a, a hint of what is coming. He sacrifices a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, and for two years, the Jewish people fight against him. And in 165 B.C., they win. They win and they get him out of there, and they rededicate the temple. They rededicate the temple, and they light a menorah. You guys know what a menorah is, this, this candlestick. This candlestick, they light the menorah, but there's only enough oil in the menorah for one day. So the story goes. And somehow, miraculously, the, the light, it stays lit for eight days and signifies, really signifies the prophetic significance there is that Jesus is the light of the world. It mentions this festival in John 10, even though it's not one of the original festivals. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. But this festival is mentioned in John 10 when Jesus is in the temple. And so the temple is rededicated on the 25th day of the month of Kislev. And the temple and temple's back in business worshiping God. Okay, so that's what the temple, what the, that, in, in honor of Will Preby, I told him I'd, I'd mention that. Uh, also, was that enough, Will, or does anyone want to add anything to that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, guys, here's what, here's what, back in Luke, two minutes in Luke, and then we're done. Okay, back in Luke, you remember where we started? As we read the book of Luke, Luke 22, verse 1, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread called the Passover was approaching. Here's what I want you guys to get. You read through that, and you're like, okay, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, whatever that is, now let's get to the meat of the thing. Here's what I want you guys to get in all this, is that this was something that was prophetically written down in the scripture way before it ever happened, that God had a plan. The reason that God had Passover, the reason that God had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the reason that God had First Fruits and Pentecost and all these festivals in the Old Testament was to prophetically look forward to something that Jesus was going to do. Here's, here's the takeaway from all this. God's in control of the history of this world. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's next. What's the next, fe- what's the next festival? If we take the, the Jewish calendar and put it over the events of human history, what's the next 
event that's going to happen according to the Jewish calendar, according to what we just studied. One, this is the test to see if you guys got what we talked about today. Trumpets, trumpets. When you hear the trumpet, you know the festival has started. Okay? I hope that th this made sense to you guys. This is deeper than what we usually talk about. But but when when do, when is a good time for us to teach about the seven festivals of the of the Old Testament? It's hard hard to find a place to put these things in. And as we're as we're, as Will was asking me, and as we're approaching this part in Luke twenty two, I thought, man, let's just talk about this because I think you're going to understand the big picture of history better by understanding these festivals of the Old Testament. Okay, okay. I hope that the Lord is speaking to your heart right now. He is speaking to you. The question is, is anybody listening? Are you listening? Okay, let's stand up and let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to die for us, that you paid for every sin of every person that's in this room. And so together tonight, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for doing that, that you're our Passover lamb, that you're the first fruits from the dead, that you're the unleavened bread, that you sent your spirit at Pentecost, that there's coming a day when the trumpet will sound and you're going to step back onto this planet, that there's coming a day when the people of Israel return to you, that we all, everybody, walks in the holy holies with you that there's coming a day that we camp out with you forever that you wipe away every tear from our thank you lord that you've got all this under control and therefore you've got things in our lives under control tonight and so lord all the things that we're thinking about all the pressure that's on the people in this room lord would you just remind all of them that you've got it we give it to you we trust you lord we trust you with our lives in jesus name amen do we have lunch tomorrow Okay, lunch tomorrow. Lunch tomorrow, burgers at 12.